Welcome to Living in the Matrix. I'm Jonathan, and I'm left of center. And I'm Rich, and I tend to lean a little bit more to the right. But the bottom line is, is together we try to look for the balance of what it means to be human in today's world. Welcome, everybody. This is Living in the Matrix. I'm Jonathan, and my co-host Rich is in uh, Spain on the community of Santiago. Uh, today, we have a wonderful guest, Jonathan Asile. He's the author of What the Heck is Self-Love? And uh, today we're going to be diving into the hero's journey. And what I love about Jonathan's story is that he has some pretty significant wake-up moments that things happened and made him take a look at everything. And so, uh, Jonathan, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to have you. Well, thank you, Jonathan. I'm excited to be on your show. I appreciate this. And I love what you're doing. And I love the topic. And I'm so grateful to even get a chance because I am a huge fan of the concept of the matrix. So let me start with a question that we don't ask a lot, but we always mean to. If you are a character in the matrix, who are you? <laughs> well, you know, my, my first reaction was to say Neo, but I really want to kind of but that you know, like I also like so many of the other characters. I actually like even though I can identify with Neo, I actually like Cypher of all the characters, but that's because I like the actor and I like- uh, What I resonates like about him? Yeah. Um, you know, he, you know, to some degree, he felt a little bit duped. Mm -hmm. And to that extent, you know, like there was, I, I resonate with it because I can understand what fear and reality kind of sets us back a bit. And there's this desire sometimes to want to go back to safety. And, and I can relate to that, mm -hmm. you know, even though I feel like my life has been the Neo character, I can understand how sometimes we just want to go back to the womb because, uh, and I had my own experience of that happening in my life. So in some ways I relate to him a little bit more on a personal level, even though I feel like my journey has been a Neo's journey, if you will. I think Cypher is almost the alter ego of Neo. He's the he's the the inner thought process of yeah this isn't as good as I wanted it to be, yeah. like Neo's journey was not easy and so when yeah. Cipher says as he's eating a piece of steak I can't wait to be put back in, yeah. I think that's probably something Neo felt as well, and it's yeah. important to recognize that that the journey of Neo the hero's journey is not easy. Like it, when you step out of the comfort zone, when you step out of the matrix, your yeah. life does feel completely different. Would you agree to that? Yeah, I absolutely agree. And, and to add to that, just that, that place of, you know, there, it requires, you know, one element of Neo, one element of just living outside in the matrix is, is trust is faith. And, and to the extent that, you know, that sometimes is really hard to do, you know, to trust that everything is happening for us, that all of these experiences, yes. both good and bad. And there's just times where I know all of us, or at least for my, I can only speak for myself, where I'm like, yeah, I'd like to go back and, you know, be in that safe space every once in a while. At the same time, I would never want to go back. So, so that that's kind of a good segue. Let me dive into sort of where you said your journey sort of catalyzed didn't begin but it really catalyzed in the death of your son set that up and help us understand what that moment was like and what was happening at that time yeah so um you know professionally speaking i was in a good place and that's an important part to know i was in a good place with my family and friends things seemed to be going good at that moment and then bam i get a phone call from my ex-wife uh, that paramedics are at the house. And 10 minutes later, I get a, I called back and he had already passed and I'm rushing to her home. It was on um, the day before 4th of July. It was right around noon. And, you know, it's interesting. As I was driving there to her home, um, you know, I was in such a state of shock, you know, that, uh, I, I remember almost just not, it wasn't even that I believed it. It was almost that I accepted it really quickly in that moment. Again, I'm in shock. So so many different emotions were going about. Why I appreciate share, sharing this with everybody and starting from this point is that catalyst broke me open into really doing a deep dive into meaning 
you know, what does it mean to love someone? What does it mean to lose someone? And, and I made a conscious choice within weeks after he passed. I remember giving his eulogy and I said to everybody, we have a choice. We can grieve with suffering or we can grieve with love. And, and at that moment, wow. when I said that, and I, and I processed that moments before, I actually, when I wrote the eulogy, I was like, I made a conscious choice from this point forward, how am I gonna live my life with more love? Both my love for myself and love for others. And so in this experience, and, and it certainly became the catalyst for writing a book, you know, what the heck is self-love anyway, and starting to do speaking gigs and do a lot more conversations in this area, particularly in my professional capacity as a dating and relationship coach. I also recognized that this wasn't the most devastating thing that happened in my life. It's something that happened a decade and a half earlier that really prepared me so I didn't have to suffer or, you know, and I say it's a choice. I do believe it's a choice. I could, you know, some people feel like there's no choice. You are going to suffer through this. No, you can give yourself love and you can mitigate or you know, vaccinate yourself from suffering. And as I said a moment ago, my journey actually began 15 years earlier and actually much earlier than that as well. Okay, so let's go back. What happened then that kind of set you up for when your son died? Yeah, so um, so much like living in the matrix, I had the programming. You know, I grew up with uh, parents that told me to go to college, get a job, meet a gal, get married, buy a house, start a family. And I followed that programming to the T. Um, I got married before my 30s, you know, after I mean, I had the job, had the house, had everything, uh, had the ch children in my early 30s. And then um, right at age 40, I found myself in a situation where I'd lost my high paying corporate job and I'm going through a divorce. I mean, I literally was going through a divorce and losing my identity at the same month. Mm -hmm. And that took me down a spiraling path of self-destruction, uh, pity, depression. I'd even reached a point in my life where I wished I didn't wake up. Um, and Did and you ever I have a moment where you woke up and it felt like you were in the Nebuchadnezzar and you're in tattered clothes and everything is different and there's nothing you can... What did that feel like for you? You're completely well, I stripped. Remember yeah, I remember like and particularly because losing, uh, you know, your profession was a loss of identity and then going through a divorce is an unraveling of the tapestry of your life that you've woven with someone else and going through the, you know, the emotional effects of family court and visitation rights and and, uh, you know, um, you know, alimony, child support, all these different things. And, right. and in that experience, coming back to the Nebuchadnezzar, you know, it was like, holy crap, this isn't what I thought life was going to be like. In fact, it was almost, Jonathan, it was almost like the blueprint I thought my life was going to be like collided with my reality. And it's like when two worlds, you know, hit, that it implodes. And in that moment, I was so depressed that I reached a point over a period of months where I went to bed wishing I didn't wake up. Mm -hmm. And at the time I, I, I lived on this beautiful apartment overlooking the Pacific Ocean. I mean, I had a front view of the Pacific Ocean and the curtains were closed and I would drive over to my parents' house and steal Vicodin uh, just so I could get through the day sometimes. Um, and then, you know, I just, I made, I made this interesting choice. I called my father and said, dad, I'm really hurting and I need some help. And I'll never forget. He said, I've been waiting for your call. Mm -hmm. And, and to, from that moment, I, and by the way, just to give you some context, when I was married, I lived in a $2.2 million home. Okay. Moved to an apartment by the beach. I'm now in such a place of, of despair that my dad said, come back and live with us. And they, my parents lived in a thousand square foot 
condo in a retirement community. I had 100 square foot bedroom to live in the spare bedroom. And, and literally in that space, I began through the help of my parents and, and merely all they did was provide space. I began reparenting myself. Mm. And Why do you with, use the word reparent? I say the reparent because I literally kind of went from the successful adult almost as a child again trying to figure out what life was all about because I didn't feel like I had you know the resources and the skills to get back into the profession I was in and I was re kind of not I said reparenting but re re-establishing who I am as a person re rediscovering who I am as a person but almost as a child in a way starting from you know from this place of of, of fear because as children, you know, we can have all these joyful experiences and we can have fun, but there's all the sense of fear because the world is so unknown. And by living in my folks' home, by going through this experience, reparenting myself, I remember the movie, The Secret came out right about this time. And, and I watched it and I'm like, oh my God, this resonated with me. You know, it really resonated with me. And I'm like, oh, and, and by the way, what's interesting is 10 years earlier, I got into metaphysics. I got into, you know, law of attraction, you know, creative visualization. But the minute I got married, I abandoned it or okay. I discontinued my practice. So remember I said my, you know, my journey started well before even this crash. It's just, I took a break from it. And then now when the secret came out, I'm like, oh, this resonates with me. And, and so there, you know, I watched the movie, the secret, I watched the movie, what the bleep, I started to buy books. I started to listen to Abraham Hicks. And then I went to a Tony Robbins seminar, you know, and all these things to, you know, to rediscover who I am as a person. Mm -hmm. And in that I found the profession I, you know, felt so uh, driven towards. Well, let me add this to the equation. I didn't share this with you prior to. I became a dating and relationship coach because I became addicted to online dating as a means of kind of also in this process of rediscovering who I was as a person. I, I mean, I've literally in one year had a hundred first internet dates with women, mm -hmm. but I, but I found an interesting career path for me through all of these dating experiences, which included a lot of personal development, self-help and spiritual work. So what was your, like, what was your biggest takeaway during that process of living with your parents? It, Cause you had almost this preconceived notion most of your life, if I have to be this person and then it's stripped away and life brings you yeah. back to the beginning with your parents. Yeah. What did that feel like for you? Oh my gosh, you know, my ego took such a beating, you know, and, and because I was programmed to chase success, chase financial wealth, chase the nice cars. I mean, I had a, you know, I had a, you know, I had a high-end Porsche, I had a Rolex watch, I had all these material things. Um, and I even had superficial friends throughout that time. So one thing I recognized was um that you know the superficial things didn't bring me comfort you know it didn't bring me joy and in this process i found out who my real friends and family were the people who didn't view me from that superficial perspective so certainly i'm blessed that i had a mother and father to support me i mean that that's sometimes very rare even today to some degree um and then i had some really good friends who who were very supportive of me uh, during this period of time. But what I learned was that life isn't made up by the material things, you know, mm -hmm. and that's kind of what the agents and the, and the matrix tries to convince you that, you know, strive for all these things and you'll be fulfilled. And I remember going to the University of Santa Monica had a, um, an orientation for, um, to, to do their master's in spiritual psychology program. And one of the things they laid out was they, they took a chalkboard and they drew a horizontal line at the bottom and a vertical line dead center of this line. So it's an upside down T. And on the 
horizontal line on the left side, they say, here you're at in your life, like you own a Hyundai. And then on the far right side was a Ferrari. Right. And most people view happiness as I'm here in my Hyundai or whatever it is. And if I have a Ferrari, I'll be much happier. But the reality is, is in a few weeks, you have the Ferrari, you're not any happier, you're still very horizontal in feeling happiness. The vertical line was what they wrote down was love and learning. Wow. When we experience love from those that we care, that care for us, and we care for them, we, we elevate in a horizontal line for happiness. But what fascinated me was when they said learning. When we learn something new, when we learn something we didn't know before, and if we allow that non-egoic place to say, I know everything, because as a child, you know, as a teenager, as a young adult, we all think we know everything, right? I recognize that the, the part of the path of, of happiness is to learn more about myself first and foremost, and then other things around me. Okay, so what did you learn? That really sticks with <laughs> well, you today. I, I think humble. To, I really became very humble in that experience. One, I learned to really know what it meant to be humble. I was, I was rather an arrogant sob, you know, to some degree. You know, I had this corporate job. I was a partner. You know, I was so even with my friends, I acted like such an arrogant sob. That in that experience, by being humble, I learned what it meant to be grateful for having blessings in your life. And I don't mean the car, I'm talking about people who love you. And, and little by little, my ego, you know, I, I learned to let go of my ego mm -hmm. and really honor and appreciate you know, the people around me. Here's the interesting thing about the sort of the transcendence of material possession or wealth is there, the more that we have these conversations, the more that becomes sort of a common theme is every human being has to go through getting their dream and realizing there's a difference between the thing validating us and the thing complimenting us. Because yeah. in the beginning, when it's validating us, it's dependent on us having it. So if we lose it, it's like, holy shit, now my validator is gone. But when we hold it lightly and it's not validating us, we can then appreciate it for what it is. It's Ferrari's a great car, but yeah. here's the reality of it. Cause I, my, I have many friends who have owned Ferraris. The moment you drive them, they tend to break. And then yeah. you're spending a thousand dollars a month. No joke on the little repairs. Cause they're so expensive. All the material possessions that we buy, the mansions, the cars, the boats. I have two boats myself. I live on the water. They cost a lot of money. They cost a lot of mind share. We call a boat, a boat stands for bring out another thousand. That's the joke. <laughs> I've never heard that's, that before. That's the joke of wealth is it requires mind share to take it care of, especially when it's validating you. Yeah. And the transcendence comes when you realize, oh, no, I am not my possessions. I'm more than that. Now that allows us to turn around and say, wow, the Ferrari is a really great car, but I don't need it. I'm going to enjoy it, but I don't need it. And that allows us the freedom to move forward away from possessions as a validator and more towards something just to enjoy. Because then we can go, oh, you want to borrow it? You want to share it? You want to use it? It becomes what it really is meant to is something in community, something that we can share with people, something we can enjoy with people. So where did you go from your parents' house? What happened after that? So, um, well, actually, I, I, it's interesting. I met a woman um, right while I was in my parents' house um, and we began a relationship together. And, and interestingly enough, uh, and I, I share this piece of the puzzle because um, she was a marriage and family therapist. She was a doctor. She owned a nice home. And I remember on my, our second date, she said something to me because I talked about my parents quite a bit during our second date. And she goes, do you live with your parents? And like, here I am, this doctor. And by the way, she used to even have her own television show just to give you some context. Right. And I'm like, 
I'm a deer in the headlights. I have to like, uh, you know, share this truth to her. And, you know, she didn't reject me. Yeah. Um, And so our relationship, by the way, in a way, my relationship with her was a reparenting too, because I got the benefit of talking to a therapist every day about things. Mm-hmm. And while that relationship was, you know, lasted six years, during that period of time, I, I, I began building a business. Um, let's see, um, right around 2009, I began doing dating and relationship coaching. And then by the time um, 2014 hit, um, I was making a six-figure income. Or, or close to it, you know, like, uh, or, you know, high five-figure income. And I'm like, you know, it's time to move out, you know? And I was like, oh, I'll just get, and I, you know, I'll just get, I'll, I'll rent a room from someone for a thousand dollars. I'll do something very modest. And then I re- realized that if you really believe in the law of attraction, as I do, if you trust that things are happening for you, then do something that brings you joy. So I actually rented a place that had an ocean view more than I wanted to spend. (laughs) But I thought, well, I'm going to work from home anyway. Why not have a view for it? So in 2014, I I moved down by the beach and, you know, I haven't looked back since. Uh, Are you still with her? Oh, no, no. That was a, uh, that relationship ended about, oh God, six years ago. So, what how did that lead up to what happened between then and the book that kind of led you to this progression of really staying out of the matrix yeah so you know i i began doing right around that time uh when she and i ended our relationship um i started to do a deep a deeper dive into personal development and interestingly enough she and I ended our relationship. Um, a month later, she gifted me um, for my birthday. Um, uh, the I don't know if you're familiar what's called the Hoffman process. Yes. Okay. So she gifted me this $3,500 retreat to go to, to mm-hmm. heal my childhood wounds, to heal my traumas, um, to re another reparenting experience. And uh-huh. And that was my birthday gift, even though we had ended our relationship. We ended a very conscious uncoupling. We had a very, in fact, to this day, we are still good friends. I'm good friends with her partner now. We've socialized, my partner, and I socialize with her, um, my girlfriend and I. So um, in this experience, the Hoffman process, it was the fifth day of the experience. And it's really a one of a kind kind of experience. I felt like I got wrapped in a blanket of self-love. I actually felt for a brief period of time what it really meant to love myself. And the way they curated this event, the way they, and it's, there was only 40 people at the retreat for the week I was there. Even though I'm surrounded by people, it was an individual experience. Having this blanket of self-love, knowing, you know, my worth, my, you know, feeling self-worth, self-esteem, self-confidence, self-reliance wrapped in this blanket, as I shared, really catapulted my journey into more, you know, like a deeper self-discovery. Let me ask you this question. Why do you think it took you a retreat to get there? What was it about the re- Because you were participating in the process and you didn't know that it was possible what because i imagine the moment you come to a place of wow i actually really do love myself is something everybody can experience but you didn't experience it up until that point what was it about that moment that allowed it to sort of come out well i think you know there was something about all of the experiencing leading up to you know you know when steve Jobs says you connect the dots as I connect the dots, I had all these little experiences that were preparing me. What made this unique is that the way the, the, the program is structured, it is literally structured to break you open by challenging in, you way, in ways that you wouldn't consciously think about. Like, in other words, you know, I, don't, I, I believe the, the fact that everybody is to some degree in a matrix is because they're not aware. You don't know what you don't know. 
Right. So when you're challenged, like just to give you an example, the questionnaire to fill out for the Hoffman process took 10 hours to complete. And there was questions I'm like, I never thought about that before. And there was another question I never thought about that before. And another question, I'm like, holy crap, you know, it's it's guiding me because it's opening me up in ways I couldn't perceive without some assistance, you know, even, you know, in the hero's journey of Luke, you know, there are people, there are these Luke Skywalker, excuse me, or mm -hmm. even Neo, you know, there's all these people that are helping them along the way. And the Hoffman process was one of the pieces of the puzzle for me to break me open because once kind of like in Star Trek, um, the, the first movie with, um, with William Shatner, you know, when you're in the nexus, when you actually can feel what it actually feels like to love yourself, because one of the things they talk about is differentiating our thoughts versus our feelings. Mm -hmm. And the way the process is, it's always challenging you to step into those feelings, the good, the bad, the ugly, like triggers are good things. Like when you get triggered, they're like, this is a good thing. You get to work on something. Yes. So that feeling of the nexus, if you will, in that moment going, ah, I get it. That I don't think I could have, I mean, while I might've experienced that on my own for my journey, this was a great catalyst. What was the epiphany for you? Well, that feeling of self-love, that feeling of really- But what was the epiphany that sort of triggered you? I don't, I don't want to encapsulate the whole entire experience, but was there something that kind yeah, of okay. opened the can? Yeah, there was a there was actually a, what's called a, a birthday exercise where you literally it's your birthday, and the way they curate it is and it's you know and it coincidentally, it was on the week of my birthday. I was nice. there during my birthday, and there's a birthday experience which is just so much fun. It's so much play. It's like literally, literally, it's going back to being a little kid. What's it feel like to be that little kid that? you know, that is just living the world with beginner's mind, with, with all this wonderment. And when you can tap into that feeling, it's a powerful emotion. Well, I think that's one where, you know, science is really beginning to, as we now are in our third or fourth decade of really deep neuroscience research, we understand most people are stuck in Delta brain. And you really can't engage your heart very well because it's a very fixed place. It's a very survival oriented place and it's very hard in today's world especially if you have a high stress job to sort of step down into alpha where you can begin having contemplation and it sounds like in the hoffman process it really allowed you that space to uncrack the nut a little bit and let it go deeper and deeper and deeper what was the outcome of that so you have this moment of self-love because like you said in the intro uh before we started recording not everybody sees self-love as a good thing. How did you approach it at that point? Well, I, I think I began to experience my own self-worth. Hmm. I began to experience more self-confidence, um, more. And, and I use the term more. It's just uncovering, you know, a greater understanding of self-esteem and self-reliance, you know, because again, I went back to the, I went back to the nest, so to speak, you know, with my parents. And so right around this period, several years, I'm, I'm becoming more self-reliant. Um, and, and also to recognize that I am the, I am the creator of my happiness. You know, when did you discover that? Cause I think that's pivotal. Well, I've had all these micro moments. You know, I, I read the book uh, Creative Visualization by Shanti Garani, and I'm not pronouncing the name properly, but I remember reading that book in my 20s that it's the idea of, of visualization and the power of visualization. And, you know, like, uh, you know, they professional athletes, you know, Tiger Woods visualizes a hole in one every time he hits. You know, a, a par, you know, a shot on a par three, you know, he visualizes it even before he even takes the swing. So, um, and the, the Hoffman process was just one piece of the puzzle. Again, I got a taste of this, you know, back when it was called metaphysics, you know, in my early twenties, it's now all of it's just, I'm peeling the onion 
each week. And then, you know, after the Hoffman process, I did something called insight seminars. Um, and I, I, I invite anyone who's listening right now to Google insight seminars because I did, an, I did their uh, three stages within their organization. And all of these pieces helped me really learn that I am in charge of my destiny to some degree. I have the power within me, both on how I perceive the world and the inspired action I take in the world, which includes meditation, which includes plant-based medicine, plant-based medicine, spiritual journeys. I've done a number of those. Um, Did this happen before or after your son? Actually, it was right after my son passed away. I began doing um, plant-based medicine, spiritual journeys, usually using um, uh, psychedelics, um, particularly psilocybin. Were you on your own or were you hosted? No, I was, I was with, um, even though he's not a shaman, I call him my shaman, but sure. it's a, a, a husband and wife that put together a, tra- a, 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 a well-curated uh, experience. It's only six people. Usually it's uh, recliners. Uh, so you the- had a hosted ceremony with a hosted sitter, ceremony. someone who could cover you. What were you doing? Yeah. Oh, I would. So there were six recliners in the in the living room. You put on blindfolds. You recline while after right after you take the medicine. And there's usually music and sound bowls. What and medicine did meditate. you take? Uh, psilocybin. Oh, you did. Okay. Yeah, psilocybin. And I've 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 explored the other ones as well, but that particular one is one that I began. And in my first experience, I remember not seeing my son, but feeling my son. I really felt his presence. And it was so profound. I mean, so hugely profound. Was it because you missed him? No, I invited him in. I invited Mm -hmm. him in and, and he, you know, there was some messages that were passed on to me. There were some messages he'd been passing along the way, but through the medicine, I feel as though I was open and receptive because, you know, um, it, it starts to peel away that layer of ego and allows you to tap into at least, okay, I look at this from a spiritual perspective, not a neuroscience perspective, because right. I know there's a lot of, you know, uh, data to suggest what's going on. And, 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 and to, to have a, a spiritual path, and I mean a path that there is something beyond us mm-hmm. in this world, um, takes a leap of faith. Yes. And whether I did feel him or not, I don't know. All I know is I got a sense that no matter what happens, even if, listen, even when we pass away, if it's merely a dial tone, I don't believe that's what happens. But if it's just a dial tone, I'm going to be okay. And really, it's learning to appreciate every moment we have now to the fullest extent. Yeah, I think that's so um, both Rich and I are big fans of Michael Pollan. And in his book, How to Change Your Mind, he talks about what the plant medicines do is they essentially turn off your default mode network and your default mode network is a series of five parts of your brain centralizing around the amygdala. And what it does is it sort of turns off your fight or flight system, but that default mode network is where you create your identity. So when you separate yourself from your identity it also lowers and slows your brain so you can move down to alpha and you can begin dreaming, you can begin imagining at a much deeper level. And here's where I think it really gets even better is through the plant medicines, because you're slowing down almost into a meditative state naturally, you start experiencing things, but because you're on the plant medicines, things are very magnified from an experiential level. So they become data that's impossible to ignore. And your brain is not circulating, it's spinning to stop it, it's happening. And that's the, I think the power of it is it almost turns off all of our defense mechanisms and says, okay, now I'm gonna give you an experience, not a thought, but a full body experience that you're not going to be able to ignore. Because I've had many plant medicine experiences in their they, they always consistently seem to turn off my own defense mechanism so I can finally see what I really need to see. Did yeah. you have experience like that? 
Well, you know, as you're sharing this, and yes, I mean, I I look at the medicine as a, it's it's kind of like meditation on a Ferrari. Speaking of Ferrari, before you know, instead of yep. the way I meditate, it's like a. It's walker. a good analogy, though. Yeah, yeah, you know, like I I mean, I have a challenge actually doing deep meditation. I've spoken to so many people who can get into deep meditative state without medicine and experience much of what I experienced. So boom, you just take off in a Ferrari. Now, one of the things I experienced, I had actually done, you know, mushrooms back in my, my 20s. And that was like Mr. Toad's wild ride because I wasn't, you know, appreciating and respecting the medicine. And so right. what it did is also it focused on my shadow and a lot of dark things in my life because I wasn't in a state of respect, a state of gratitude, having yeah. an intention, the set and setting wasn't the same. So by the time I did this in with a with a with a guided, you know, person guiding me along the way. I honestly like there's this arc you go through at the medicine where it takes you off. And then you're you're still kind of in the space, but it's the coming down that can last a few hours. Yes. It's almost like the limitless drug. You know, it's like mm -hmm. I could I felt the perceive, same way. I could perceive things in ways that I, I just, you know, my 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 monkey mind, you know, challenges me in this area. And so, you know, to some and by the way, I began doing it once a month, once every other month, because not from the high. But from the appreciation that um, there is so much more to who I am as a person, if I just allow it to happen. Right. And again, since this comes from a plant, you know, it's not like, hey, look, at we have a pharmaceutical industry that pumps all kinds of crap in us. We have a food industry that pumps all kinds of crap in us. And they say that's OK. But if you do something from a plant, it's not OK. Like I have right. a real issue with that. But that's, in other words, another way of living outside of the matrix is. Um, I don't believe that this government has the right to dictate my choices per se. I mean, provided I live within a humane way, you know, follow certain rules of treat people the way they want to be treated and don't kill anyone and, you know, drive within the speed limit kind of thing. I don't see why we should be precluded from exploring who we are as people just because a group of people don't agree with that. Well, I think we've also reached a point historically where we can no longer ignore the validity of plant medicines to heal. Yeah. Rich and I talk about that all the time on this podcast, that if you really look at the data, even in the 60s, most of the like the, the Haight-Ashbury explosion of LSD was all government funded. They were testing. So but it was a the great dots and uh, exactly Timothy they Larry all were like the CIA funneled, I think, 2 million hits of LSD into San Francisco within a three-year period through a program. And what happened out of that was remarkably similar. People were drawn to a sense of love and oneness. Yeah. And I think that's part of what the plant medicines do is they peel back our defense mechanisms enough that we can actually see, no, at a subatomic level, at an energetic level, we are all connected. You can't yeah. ignore that. And you experience that even if you don't believe it. That's what makes it so profound. And that allows you to say, oh, I'm not as disconnected. Because I think a lot of what PTSD is a sense of emotional yeah. disconnection. Yeah. And the plant medicines can bring you back into a physical state where you don't feel lonely. You feel connected and go, oh, maybe this is the way life really is. And it's a physical embodiment, so you can't ignore it. And it will also bring up all your shadow stuff. Yes, too. it will. I mean, and, and by yes, the way, it will. you know, and if like there's, you know, for some people, um, there's even the experience of, you know, vomiting and whatnot. It's just um, purging, I should say. And, yep. you know, even my shaman says, you know, what you resist will persist. So let this stuff out and it will bring up, you know, sometimes it brings up some really hairy stuff. And when a a person recognizes that this is for your benefit. These are areas in your life that you know that deserve some healing or require some healing or an opportunity to heal. Um, it will bring this stuff up to the surface. So um, I'm a big proponent of this um, medicine, not or this this yeah I'm going to say medicine as a, a way for individuals to really 
you said this a moment ago, Jonathan, to experience compassion, mm -hmm. both compassion for yourself mm -hmm. and compassion for others. There's this feeling of like, you just love everybody, right? And like, wouldn't it be great if we could operate, every human being could operate like that every day? We were working in unison to love mm -hmm. and care and nurture everyone around us instead of this egoic way of operating as I'm right and you're wrong kind of thing. Which is really a product of the feeling of disconnection. Yeah. We don't care if we don't feel connected, but once, you know, the plant medicines expose us to this idea that no, at a subatomic level, we are in the quantum field. And that's considered the unified field where there is no separation. And there is no distinction between the energies of two bodies. They are one and the same. So you experience that and go, oh, it's kind of like eating sushi for the first time. If you've never tasted sushi, you go, oh my God, this is the best thing. But you don't have an understanding of sushi before you eat it. You know, yeah. you can hear about it. Oh, it's this thing tastes like, no, it's tastes freaking amazing. <laughs> you don't get it until you try it. And exactly. that's the interesting part about plant medicine. So I want to shift a little bit because this is a good segue. Now okay. let's lead up to, you've had these experiences and then your son dies. Yeah. What happened. So what corresponded just right before my son passed away, I actually joined a study group um, um, exploring the book called The Course in Miracles. Mm -hmm. And um, course. yeah, and, and, and I, I'm probably going to offend a few people what I'm about to say, but I just believe this is how the Bible should have been written. Okay? Right. I agree. Um, and, and interestingly enough, we were studying death the month before my son passed away and spirit and energy and all these things. So I, I felt like, you know, like what a coincidence, right? You know, like, like all of these experiences were preparing me for this experience of losing in my son. And, you know, to the extent that what happened to him was an accident and, mm -hmm. and I could accept it. And I, I learned to kind of go through the, 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 the wheel of emotions that you go through, anger, depression, you know, bargaining, all those sorts of things. Um, I think because I'd done this work and was doing this work even along the process of him be, uh, being gone, I didn't feel alone. I felt supported. And what was also interesting is, you know, when I posted this in my social media, a ton of love came my way a ton of love came my way. I mean, there was like thousands of people commenting on my Facebook page and, and sending me, you know, just these really kind things. And my son had um, a nickname or has a nickname, I should say. His nickname is Salty. And so people started to send me little knickknacks of Salty Crew t-shirts or they saw Salty Crew on a on a t-shirt and took a picture of it and sent it my way. And they sent me like, I'm looking at a plaque right now that says Sandy Toes and Salty Kisses. And, and even five years later, I still get these little messages from him because other people are sending it my way. Yeah. However, sympathy can be addictive. Mm -hmm. And I say this because there were times where whenever I needed a little bit of love, I posted something about him and I got a lot of love mm -hmm. from people. That was really my own disconnection from myself, but it can be, sympathy can be very addictive to, to feel that, you know, it's because, wouldn't it be great if we were always giving love like this all the time? And I know for yeah. some people, they think that's yeah. ludicrous. And yet it really is a powerful, um, source for change. In fact, the Course of Miracles says, what is a miracle? A miracle is simply a shift to love. That's really the miracle is how do we yes. go from not loving? How do we go from fear and unhealthy ego to loving ourselves and loving mm -hmm. others? Yep. So um, you're on this journey and you have this awareness of self-love. How did the book yeah. show up? What, what was the catalyst for saying, okay, I'm shifting my entire life towards this self-love. What did that mean yeah. to you? So 
so I, the irony was I was in the process of writing a book uh, about a dating a relationship book. I was my second book. Of, it was called Compassionate Dating, Why Modern Romance Needs a Makeover. And I was probably a third into this book. And I don't recall, I put out a post uh, needing a ghostwriter because the one I'd worked with was um, retiring. And, and I get this message from a woman. And, okay, so there's this message about, uh, I put a message, I need a ghostwriter. Prior to that, I was writing all these blogs called, what does self-love mean? What is, what self-love means this. I had just written like 30 blogs about what does self-love mean? And, but I was writing this other book. I said, I needed a ghostwriter. And this woman reaches out to me and says, Jonathan, I'd like to help you. I'd like to do it for free. Um, but I, I want to write a book about your blogs. I'm like, really? She goes, yeah. And I, I want to give her credit because she's in the book, Jennifer Matthews. Um, she said, I want to help you with this as a gift to Connor. This was two months after he passed away. And within a week, I decided to, you know, I'm going to change course. I'm going to write this book. What I did was I recorded 30 chapters, and then she put, you know, she added the grammatical music to it. <laughs> and in, in the space of nine months, um, actually it was within seven months, it was within nine months of his passing, I published the book. And it hit Amazon bestseller actually in the first uh, two days. So what was your thesis? Um, You know, that's a good question. I never really had been asked that question before. You know, um, it was just really kind of identifying a lot of people think, for example, getting manicures and pedicures is self-love as an example, sure. right? And I'm like, okay, that's self-care and self-care is part of self-love, but that's not self-love. There's more to it than that. It's something and more I, fundamental than that. Yeah, and so, as I said earlier, I think it encompasses self-worth, self-esteem, self-reliance. Um, and so I just started to like ask myself the questions, what does it mean to love yourself? So it might be how we treat our body. One of the chapters is how, you know, our body is a machine. I say one of the chapters called our body is a machine, not our, a temple as an example, not to the extent that I'm, I'm mocking that idea. I'm just simply saying, look, you know, how we fuel ourselves is how we're going to feel about ourselves. And I just did a blog about that and, and then turned into a chapter. Um, one of the things in the dating realm that I find so fascinating is how few people actually speak their truth. And so I wrote a chapter called Speak Your Truth, Do It With Kindness. And it merely, the, your truth is, is an expression of how you feel. It's not the truth, it's just your truth. And it's important to express that truth to people that you're engaged in uh, some sort of interpersonal relationship with, because <laughs> a friend of mine once said, you know, women expect us men to be mind readers, right? <laughs> right? And I'm like, I don't know what you're thinking. So express yourself uh, as an example. Um, and then another chapter is if it's sincere and from the heart, you can't say the wrong thing to the right person. And and um, what I mean to say is if you're speaking from your heart, the right people will stand by you. It's the, the wrong people won't stand by you when you're speaking from your heart. And there's even chapters about my son in there. He had a very much, he had a very, um, he didn't allow people to fuck with his chi. So the chapter is don't let anyone fuck with an asterisk, your chi. He, he really had this attitude. He, he actually, by the way, coincidentally, I forgot to mention this to you earlier. He loved the movie, The Matrix. He completely believed in The Matrix. And he also believed the earth was flat and the moon landing didn't happen, whether it did or not. <laughs> uh, but he, he really lived outside of The Matrix. So he was the catalyst for this you know, thought experiment for me to explore the world outside of the way we've been conditioned to explore the world, particularly ourself, our, our, our individual view of the world. Okay. So what does that look like for you now? You're a dating coach. Yeah. 
What, what does that look like for you now? How did it progress forward from there? Well, interestingly enough, right around COVID time, um, I began shooting videos. Um, I had a real reluctance to shooting videos. Um, I had no interest in shooting videos. And I had a dear friend of mine that kept pushing me and pushing me. By the way, he has a YouTube channel of a million followers. And he kept pushing me to start shooting videos. And I found a passion for expressing myself through my YouTube channel. And I'm blessed now to have over 150,000 followers. Uh, and because COVID, there was this, you know, there was this a captive audience that was like thirsty for information. So during that time, I went from a thousand subscribers to a hundred thousand subscribers on the very birthday of my son. On his birthday, May 24th, I hit a hundred thousand subscribers. And, and that was a milestone I was shooting for. So, I mean, talk about the synchronicity, right? Like, like, thank you for this birthday gift. And, and, you know, to the extent that doing this work and, and, and expressing myself to the masses, expressing myself to people that I wouldn't otherwise get to talk to, you know, through the internet, I got this larger platform to speak about the, you know, um, dating and relationships in particularly my key message is is a wake-up call to personal development self-help spiritual work because this gets you out of the matrix in my opinion it is doing these disciplines and to do it as a discipline to do it as a practice and this is my platform to express myself and my income shot through the roof um and my six, you know, my presence, you know, began to be wider known. I mean, that's how you found me. And, and during this experience, um, I was still actively dating on the dating apps. Um, and I met someone mm -hmm. during COVID time. Interestingly enough, it was a long distance person. And I am, I'm very much reject or not reject, but I encourage people to be very careful to engage in a long distance relationship. And here, a woman who reached out to me 1700 miles away, she sent me a message. I said, I'm not interested. You live too far away. She said, I'm actually planning on moving out of where I live. The day, she lived in uh, Chicago. She goes, I don't like the winters. And she goes, I grew up in Los Angeles. I have two children in Los Angeles. I have dear friends who live in Los Angeles. In fact, one is a mile away from the city you live in. And uh, I have my best, one of my dear friends lives in Los Angeles. So we end up having a chat on the phone. Um, but that didn't go anywhere other than we became Facebook friends. Um, and over the course of a year, we chit chatted every so often, probably, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 times before I found myself in Chicago where I was officiating a wedding to the friend of mine who had a, a million YouTube subscribers. Uh, and I said, hey, I'd like to meet you. And she was game for it. And why I'm sharing this story is I realized a lot of the work I had done prior to meeting her and all of these experiences, whether it was losing the corporate job, whether it was going through the, all the personal development workshops and training and then losing my son, I was actually getting prepared for the next journey in my life. And that is the only way to really get to know who you are is when you're faced with another person and you're having to learn this thing called cohabitation, you know, co-creativeness, all these things. And it was in this experience now, we've been together for over a year and we've lived together for nine months. Um, actually, we've known each other for longer than a year. Um, we've lived together for nine months. I'm, I'm now working on different parts of my personality, my behavior that I wouldn't otherwise get to do if I just lived alone. So how did you get into uh, dating, being a dating coach? That, that's such a different journey. Yeah. Tell me, unpack that a little bit because that's... Okay. 
Sure. No. So, okay. So I, I go, I get, you know, I separate from my wife and I move into another place and like right then the internet dating just began popular. I mean, there wasn't even match.com there. It was called Yahoo personals. And I remember right. setting up a profile and magically someone would pop up, you know, and like, Oh, she emails me or I email, email her. She emails me and we meet and go on a date. And, um, and, I'm like, oh, this is just really easy. And I met someone, really nice person, nice date, but something wasn't right. And then a couple of days later, I'd meet another person, nice date, but something wasn't right. Meet another person, nice date, and wasn't, wasn't right. And I realized I shared this earlier. I had 100 internet dates uh, in one year or meet and greets. And I realized that something right wasn't me. But what happened was I was fascinated with talking with women. Um, whether it was instant messages or on the telephone, sometimes, uh, Jonathan, I'd have conversations lasting two, three, four, five, six, seven. I had an eight-hour conversation one night with a woman mm -hmm. talking about her their divorce, talking about what they were experiencing. And I became fascinated with understanding myself because I was, I was actually, in some ways, these women were becoming my therapists and I was having multiple conversations with women all across the country. At the same time, I was developing friendships with these women. And I would say to things like, you know, your dating profile isn't that great. And they're like, what do you mean? Because we weren't even meeting, right. we weren't even connecting from a dating perspective. It was just friendships. Right. And I'm like, well, I would change this picture and I change this in your profile and I do this. And they do these changes and then I get a phone call like a month later, Jonathan, I met a really great guy based on those changes you made. Right. You know, and, I, and I say, well, send me a Starbucks card to say thank you, you know? Right. And I literally, my the beginning of my profession started with just improving dating profiles because, you know, the guys put up the fish and the women do the Snapchat filters. And, you know, I'm like, it was just such mediocrity. Right. And so by encouraging someone to put a good representation of themselves, all of a sudden they would get better results. And I'm like, and, and I was becoming both, they were my therapist and I was their therapist. And as I said earlier, I'm watching The Secret, I'm doing Tony Robbins, I'm reading these books, and I started to buy every dating or relationship book out there to learn about myself. But then I'm getting a Starbucks card here. And then pretty soon I, I, I signed up to one of those like it wasn't an 800 number, but you know, like pay a dollar a minute to talk to you kind of thing. There's all yeah. these different services. It's been years since I've used them. Little by little, I'm like, and I was out of work anyway. I was living off my investment income. Um, and part of the challenge was in my crash, I also lost all my money in the market crash of 2008. This was mm -hmm. happening before that. I was doing a little bit of coaching. So by 2008, I'm like, I got to find a profession. And I just, I said, you know what? I'm going to do this full time in 2009. I'm going to find a way to make this work. I'm going to devote all of my energy. So I put together a website. And the weirdest thing is I went, I can't, I'll never forget this. I put together a website and like a week later, I get a, I get a message from someone. Would you be interested in being a guest on a radio show? And I'm like, okay. And Jonathan, I'm talking out of my ass half the time. I was literally, it's kind of like when, for some people, when they get into a, a solopreneur, entrepreneur profession, it's like you're building the airplane while it's in midair. You're like, you're, you're hammering the, the engine on and, and you're doing the wing over here and you're doing all this all along the while I'm getting my pilot's la license, but I'm in midair, mm -hmm. you know, and and over the course of the next half decade, I was just going intuitively on giving perspective all along the while I'm studying, I'm reading about relationships. I'm reading the Gottman's book. I'm reading Harvell Hendricks book. I'm reading, you know, Amir Levine, Rachel Heller's book. Um, I'm reading all these relationship books so I could become proficient right. at my now new chosen profession. And then it turns into... How does self-love play into your coaching role? Well, there's a saying, how can you love another if you don't love yourself? Exactly. And, and truthfully, so think about it. You know, like, let's look at Winnie the Pooh. There's Eeyore and there's Tigger, right? 
two characters and poor Eeyore is woe is me. The world is against me. You know, that that's an expression of not loving yourself to, to be in victim consciousness. Mm -hmm. Tigger was victor consciousness. You know, he was happy. He's like, let's see the bright side of things. So I began yes. recognizing that we here in the United States are suckling on the nipple of victim consciousness. That's what the mm -hmm. matrix wants you to do. They want you to feel so victimized that you won't stand in your own power, your sovereignty, your self-worth, your self-esteem, your self-love is, is kind of, in my world, is just an encapsulation of all that. Um, and it's just differentiating between this level of consciousness, because if you can view the world as happening for you and not to you, then you have the power to navigate this world kind of the way Neo could navigate the matrix with, with a sense of, of, of empowerment, not a sense of discouragement, if you will. Well, I think that's part of the matrix is that the, the detrimental part of the matrix is you exist for the matrix. And then when you step out of the matrix, you realize, oh, the matrix is there, but I'm not defined by it. So it becomes something to interact with, but it's not something that controls you. And that's a very big difference for people. Yeah. To, to live outside means I'm not being told what to do anymore. I'm now the hero. Yeah. Uh, I get to chart my own course, but it also means you have to do a lot more work. And I can imagine a lot of your dating clients are probably saying, this is a lot of work. You know, it it's kind a of lot going of back to the cipher conversation. Yeah, this is a lot of work. And I'm yeah. not sure I really want that. How do you respond to, their, to people like that? Well, my simple response is if you wanted to, I think of like someone who learns how to play the piano, you know, as an example, you can say, okay, I go to one piano class and all of a sudden I should be able to play the piano. No, you have to go do, you got to do your scales and you have to do this and you have to do that. And you got to learn how to read music and all of this takes practice. And if mm -hmm. you're not willing to devote at, at a minimum of 15 minutes a day to some discipline, more like an hour a day, then, you know, then what's the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. I mean, we live in a world, oh, now I'm going to get on a rant here. You know, we live in a world that magic fairy dust is going to solve all our fucking problems. And if you really want to make a change in your life, it starts at the base level by working from the inside out. That's what self-love is all about. And again, it's a discipline. You know, discipline doesn't care how you feel. Discipline says, I'm going to do these things for my betterment, just like exercise and, and consuming, you know, remember I said earlier, happiness comes from love and learning through the consumption of learning things about yourself. Will you find a sense of equilibrium, find a sense of joy, in my opinion, because those base things like the Hyundai and the Ferrari, and believe me, I'm a guy that likes to travel first class. So I get it, but then my existence, my my happiness isn't derived from that. That's just yes. a guilty pleasure, if you will, um, versus a dependency on happiness. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'll finish with this question because I know we're at okay. the end of our time. Um, okay. I what would you say to someone who's to? I want to do two different versions. What would you say okay. to a man and a woman? who are just entering the dating scene now, what would be the one piece of advice you would give to them? Sadly, we humans can be very self-centric. What am I going to get out of this experience? Instead of what can I give? And giving your time is not giving, okay? I mean, in other words, just showing up to a date, just, well, let me retract that to say that, you know, certainly showing up is an important aspect of that, right? But you're, just because you're giving a person your presence doesn't mean you're giving, okay? Mm -hmm. True giving comes from a place of listening, compassion, empathy, transparency, and, and, and not expectation. Which makes Sadly, a great partnership. 
Yes, exactly. Yeah, thank you for that. But you know, we the dating realm tends to be based on expectation. I'll give you a perfect example. If men are expected to pay and women expect men to pay, that's an expectation. Now, if a man said, I expect sex, you'd be kind of pissed if you were a woman at that. So let's take away the expectations. In fact, there's a great book called If the Buddha Dated. Yeah. And I like it because it throws out the gender rhetoric and says, how can we connect at a heart-centered level from a dating experience with a non-attachment? That's another thing I'd like, is when you can approach the process, don't get attached to the outcome, go through the experience, but recognizing that dating, the purpose of dating is a vetting process. It's simply a process to go, would I like to explore a relationship with this person? Sadly, a lot of men in particular approach the process of how can I get laid? Right. Okay. That's not a chivalrous way to approach it. That's not a gentlemanly way to approach it. As remember I said earlier, self-centric, what can I get? And women oftentimes, how can I get a free meal? Not I'm being tongue in cheek here, but how can I how can I come from a place of showing up as, you know, like the four agreements? My best self, don't make assumptions, um, be impeccable with your words, and everyone's opinion of you is just a projection. I'd rather everyone read the book, The Buddha Dated and The Four Agreements, and then go into the dating process. Well, because ultimately, it really comes down to when we go into a dating relationship to get we never really get what we really want, which is relationship, because that does, that's not a good foundation. But if we go in to give and to share, now you have two people entering into something that's creative and growing and yeah. can build upon rather than I have to please you. Because I agree, a lot of people go into the dating relationship with a sense of, okay, I got to find someone that completes me. Yeah. All about me. And that's not a good foundation for building a relationship. Jonathan, you know, this, can I, can I add one thing? Okay. Absolutely. We got a minute. You know, there's this, I, I heard once that men enter into relationship, hoping they get respected and women hope to become cherished and that they really in one and the both, they feel the same. I don't mm -hmm. agree with that. Okay. I believe people truly deep down in their heart, they want to be accepted for who they are, mm -hmm. first and foremost. Yeah. And I think what's missing is the development of trust. And trust isn't about fidelity. Trust is, can I count on this person to care about my feelings as much as I care about my own? I think if we go in with a sense of, of recognizing that most humans just want to be accepted, they can just be themselves, warts and all, you know? And at the same time, build trust with one another. That's a relationship that's going to last a lifetime, you know, provided you have chemistry and values and lifestyle matchability, emotional maturity. But that's really at the core. And so I'm inviting everyone. Hopefully these words resonate enough where you go, oh, I'm going to approach this a little bit different and certainly reach out to me if you need help with that. too. <laughs> How can our listeners find you? So my name, Jonathan Asley, ASLAY.com. Um, you can find me on YouTube. That's where most people find me. I'm also on Apple and Spotify and Instagram. Um, and uh, where else? Um, yeah, that's mostly where I'm at. My website, YouTube, or uh, through podcasts. Awesome. Jonathan, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for being our cipher today and uh, for <laughs> buying into the living in the matrix. It's it's a great metaphor because people understand it and it has a lot of uh, really great channels we can take. But this has been an absolute pleasure. Uh, to our listeners, thank you for tuning in. Please comment, subscribe, and review us. We'd love to see uh, your feedback. Let us know if you have any content that you would love to have us to, uh, to uh, talk about. Uh, so thanks for tuning in. Much love, everybody.